You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Today's sermon text is Nahum 1, 2 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance in his fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. His path is in the whirlwind and storm, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up, and he makes all the rivers run dry. Vashan and Carmel wither, even the flower of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his burning anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, even rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in days of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. But he will completely destroy Nineveh with an overwhelming flood, and he will chase his enemies into darkness. This is God's word. Good morning, church family. My name is Aaron, one of the pastors. I think you guys know that. But um, it's always a, a joy and, and privilege to uh, just come together and, and open up the scriptures together, hear how, how God speaks to us. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open up to, to Nahum. It's um, three chapters, you know, we're covering today. So um, having a Bible in front of you to be able to flip back and forth is good. If you um, pull up one of the Bibles from the seats in front of you, uh, I'll give you a head start. It's on page 532. Um, if you're visiting with us, we're in the Minor Prophets. Uh, it's a series of, of 12 books. They're minor, not because they're not important, but because they're, they're shorter. The longest one of these is, is 14 chapters versus something like Isaiah, 66 chapters. So um, it's a little bit longer. But as we've been coming through this, this series, um, you know, there's a lot of similar themes. Micah, um, as he was preaching Micah last week, he, he was joking that, that the... Uh, the theme of these books is like judgment, 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 mercy. You have so much judgment, 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 mercy. In Nahum, um, there's not much mercy. It's a little bit, a little bit depressing. The the end of the book is is the king of Assyria, all alone, basically bleeding out and dying. And that's it. It, it finishes. And so it's, um, yeah, it's it's a hard. Hard book, but because it's written to God's people and because it's written telling the judgment that's coming for God's enemies, it is a, a good reminder for us. God's people can trust in who God is, rest in Him. These first, first few verses that, that Gretchen read, the, we see God's character, see who He is, we learn a lot about who He is. But right there at the, the end, like verse verse 7, contrasted with verse 8 in chapter 1, the Lord is good, a stronghold of, in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. And then right after that, but he will completely destroy Nineveh. 
with an overwhelming flood. You have God's, God's goodness and then his, his punishment, his vengeance. As we go through this book, we, we see the unchanging character of God in, the, in this beginning part. The unchanging character of God and then, and then we see the unrelenting punishment for God's enemies. And knowing that we are Christians, we're on this side of the cross, we know that we have undying hope in Christ. So those are you know, my, my three points. Unchanging character of God, unrelenting punishment for God's enemies, and then undying hope in Christ. Um, as we dive in, I'm going to pray and, and ask for the Lord to be with us. Father God, I thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your, your love for us. Thank you for just the, the faithfulness that, that we see. Your character is the same throughout the, throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures. We know that, that you are Yahweh. You're never changing. We thank you that even as we, as we see the, the hard things in this book, the, the judgment against your enemies, we know that we don't have to be your enemy because of what Jesus has done for us. Pray that you would help us to, to remember our hope in Christ and, and to, to, to see who you are today in, in the book of Nahum. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So first, the unchanging character of God. We see three characteristics of God here in, in chapter 1, verse, verses 2 through 7. Um, first, we see God's, God's jealousy. Verse 2, the Lord is a, a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. Jealousy and, and vengeance. These characters, characteristics are are usually negative ones, right? As a, as a dad, as I'm raising my children, I don't want them to be defined by jealousy and, and vengeance. You can imagine my, my two children, say they're both building like a Lego tower and one of them accidentally knocks over the tower. I don't want the, the one whose tower just fell to lash out in vengeance and knock over the other one's tower. I don't want them to be defined by, by jealousy and, and vengeance, but, but God's jealousy and vengeance is... He's not like ours. He's not lacking impulse control. Right? He's not lashing out in uncontrollable rage or anything. He knows that, that he is the one who deserves all glory. The best thing for us to do is to, to give God the glory that he deserves. And when we don't do that, then God is jealous. And he knows that bad for us too we step away from step away from following the Lord it brings harm to us it brings harm to others we talked about God's simplicity a couple weeks ago that, that he is always all of his attributes he doesn't stop being holy and, and loving when his wrath comes out rather we see his wrath when he interacts with sin his holiness coming up against sin leads to this, this jealousy, this vengeance, this wrath. He's furious with his enemies because of their sin, because of their 
the way they are oppressing God's people. God isn't jealous when, when people are worshiping Jesus. You know, the famous verses in Philippians 2, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God doesn't have any jealousy for that. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. So we see God's jealousy and then we see his power. Powerful. Verses three through, through six. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. His path is in the whirlwind and the storm. Clouds are the dust beneath his feet. You can imagine just walking on a, a dusty path and as you walk, kick up a little bit of dust and then in a, a few seconds, it's gone. Right, but the dust beneath God's feet is are like clouds. <clears throat> I remember seeing um, a little stat. It's probably in kids' homework or um, some infographic or something, but it said that a cloud weighs over a million pounds. Clouds are huge. Like the, it's just a little bit of water vapor spread out over a ton of space. million pounds of, of water in a cloud because it's so big. God is huge. He's also so powerful. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. I used to live next to a river when I was growing up in, in Pakistan, um, the Indus River. It's one of the, it's a pretty big river. You know, I'd go down um, this middle high school, um, go down to the river and just throw rocks in the river. That was just, you know, nothing better to do. Um, and I would pick up a rock. I, I had a decent arm, you know, I'm not, um, not amazing, but I'd throw this rock as far as I possibly could and it would get like a third of the way out in the river. So it had to be crazy drought conditions for, for this river to dry up. You can think of the Amazon as many times bigger than this river. And God has the power to make all the rivers run dry. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. Just imagine the, the ocean and how big and, and powerful it is and, and God has the power to rebuke it and dry it up. Bashan and, and Carmel weather even the flower of Lebanon withers. We talked about the, the cows of Bashan and, and how those are good cows because the, the area of Bashan is, is lush and it's got wonderful pastures and the, the cows that eat that grass are, are great cows. But God has the power to make these lush lands wither. The flower of Lebanon. Verse five, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live it. Earthquakes, avalanches, the hills melting. So much power is on display from the Lord. We even know the, the power of, of the universe. Something like a, a star exploding in a, in a supernova. So much bigger than even the world and, and that's tiny compared to God. God's power is, is so far beyond anything that, that we can imagine. God is not something, it's not someone that you want to oppose. Thankfully, we don't have to. He is good. Verse seven, the Lord is good. A stronghold in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. Just think about a day of, of distress. Even something as simple as kind of waking up on the wrong side of the bed, like a, a Monday, you know, you're just not feeling it. Like the Martins this morning as they left their 
the keys and her Chad left with, with both sets of keys. <laughs> kind of a, um, just one of those days where it seems like everything's going wrong. <clears throat> Probably the most distressing day that I had was um, when my son was born. Uh, so the morning of February 3rd, um, we went into the hospital and uh, we were in labor. Jess was in labor all day until about 1.45 in the morning when um, her uterus ruptured and um, they whisked her off into the operating room and, and uh, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if my son was alive. I didn't know if my wife was alive. I was pacing in the hospital for about two and a half hours from about 1.45 in the morning to about 4.30. Just praying, knowing that that the Lord is good. He's a stronghold on a day of distress, and a night of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. There's distress all over the world. We talked about the situation in Israel and the Middle East. There's distress everywhere, but, but the Lord is good. He cares for those who take refuge in him. unchanging character of God. God is always going to be who he's always been. That can be a great thing if, if we're resting in him, if he is our refuge. But it's a, it's a horrible thing if we're God's enemies. <clears throat> and that's basically what the rest of the book of Nahum was about, about the unrelenting punishment for God's enemies. We see a few different scenes in here. There's Nahum is a very visual book. We have a little bit of a court scene. There's um, battle scenes. There's even a metaphor about a lion and then a king dying. And so um, first one we'll look at is it's kind of like a court scene. So verses chapter 1, verses 12 through, through 15. Um, God's enemies are, are like a, a guilty defendant. So you can... Um, this word in, in verse 14 where it says the Lord has issued an order concerning you, that's um, kind of a, a judicial word. Um, so this, you can imagine Judah and Assyria coming before the Lord and the Lord being the judge that's going to um, hear their case. And we see that, that Judah, initially they're facing punishment, but then, then God, um, he gives them relief. And Assyria comes and, and God gives them punishment. So first, looking at, at Judah in verses 12 and, and 13. This is what the Lord says. Though they are strong and numerous, they will still be mowed down, and he will pass away. Though I have punished you, I will punish you no longer. For now, I will now break off his yoke from you and tear off your shackles. If God, giving relief to Judah, they, it looks like a a desperate situation here. They're, they're strong and numerous, but they'll be mowed down. Though I have punished you, I will punish you no longer. I will break the yoke off of you and tear off your shackles. So the relief is coming for, for Judah. And then for Assyria, the Assyrian king punishment is coming. <clears throat> the Lord has issued an order concerning you. There will be no offspring to carry on your name. This devastating punishment of, of the king just, just fizzling out. We have these, these candles and, and glass jars. And I love to 
have that candle and I put the lid on it and then I watch the, the candle just kind of use up all the oxygen that's in there and then the candle just disappears, just fizzles out. It's kind of the idea of this Assyrian king just fizzling out. There will be no offspring to carry on your name. He thinks he has this dynasty of, you know, his son will be the king and his son will be the king, his son. But no, there's no descendants. The king fizzles out. I will eliminate the carved idol and the cast image from the house of your gods. Contrast that with with verse 15. So verse 14, the Lord is eliminating the the false worship, eliminating the carved idol. And in verse 15, he he tells Judah to, to worship, celebrate your festivals, fulfill your vows. Punishment coming for this king is that's terrible he says I will prepare your grave for you are contemptible prepare your grave thanks and it's good news for Judah look to the mountains the feet of the herald who proclaims peace good news coming you're not celebrating festivals in the middle of war when you're under oppression you're not doing parades and festivals and parties but your oppression is coming to an end so you can celebrate your festivals. You have the the herald coming to proclaim peace and then the next section, a city under attack. You have this, someone coming to to tell people to get ready for war. It's a little bit of a, a little bit of a sarcastic hype speech in uh, in verse one of chapter two. Man the fortifications, watch the road, brace yourself, summon all your strength. You can imagine like a, a football coach at halftime trying to hype up his team. You know, it's that kind of language. Man your fortifications, watch the road, brace yourself. But it's hopeless. Verse 2, the Lord will restore the majesty of Jacob. Yes, the majesty of Israel. Get them all psyched up for, for nothing. You see very visual, graphic language. Listen to the, the colors and the, the visuals and the, the speed in these verses. As I read chapter 2, starting verse 3, the shields of those warriors are dyed red. The valiant men are dressed in scarlet. The fittings of the chariot flash like fire on the day of the battle preparations. The spears are brandished. Listen to the speed here. The chariots dash madly through the streets. They rush around in the plazas. They look like torches. They dart back and forth like lightning. He gives order to his officers and they stumble as they advance. They race to the wall. The protective shield is set in place. The river gates are open and the palace erodes away. This army is coming into the, the city and and the shields are, are dyed red, color of blood. Valiant men are dressed in scarlet. They're coming into the city so fast they're they're stumbling palace erodes away brick by brick it's just disappearing you jump down to to verse 10 you see the the poetry here desolation decimation devastation hearts melt knees tremble insides churn every face goes pale this first words desolation decimation devastation the english translation is trying to bring some of the 
the poetry from the, the Hebrew. It's um, three words in a row that kind of have the same root and like each additional word has one more syllable. I'm not gonna pronounce this right or anything, but uh, it's kind of like buka, ambuka, ambulaka. Those three words right in a row, de devastation, or desolation, des decimation, devastation. That's what's coming, just, just total loss. Just the, the fear and anxiety here. Hearts melt, knees tremble, insides churn. Every face goes pale. Knees are trembling. Your insides are, are churning because you're so anxious because this army is coming into the city with such speed. This is a city facing total destruction, and that's a, a picture of the, the judgment that comes for, for God's enemies. There's a metaphor here about a lion pride, a missing lion pride. So that's the next um, section for us. It's kind of a rhetorical question of um, this lion who was once powerful. This lion pride is, is now nowhere to be found. Verse 11, where's, where is the lion's lair or the feeding ground of the young lions? Where the lion and lion is proud, the lion's cub, nothing to frighten them away. <clears throat> the lion mauled whatever its cubs needed. <clears throat> it filled up the dens with its kill. And its layers with mauled prey. You can imagine. <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I think many of us are familiar with the movie The Lion King. You know, you can probably picture Pride Rock, the uh, you know the outcropping where Rafiki held up Simba. Got that visual of of the rock. If you're a gazelle in that area, you're staying away from there. That's where the lions are. You're not going there. That's that's the lion's space. Same situation here. They have the, the layer <clears throat> that they, they control. That was their area. But they're nowhere to be found. Where's the lion's layer? Where's the lion? Verse 13, beware. <clears throat> I am against you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I'll make your chariots go up in smoke. I'll cut off, or, and the sword will devour your young lions. Will cut off your prey from the earth. The sound of your messengers will never never be heard again. I am against you. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's distressing language here. <clears throat> the lion is nowhere to be found. The lion of Assyria is gone just like God's enemies, have no hope. Chapter three is a number of, of scenes about the distressing fate of God's enemies. <clears throat> have a, a hopeless city here. It's called Nineveh's downfall fall in the section of my Bible. It's, a, it's just gruesome language here. There's, there's a lot, like verse, verse two, you, Imagine these, these sounds, right? The crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse, jolting chariot. You can hear the, the crack of the whip and the galloping horse. You have these sights of a, a charging horseman, flashing sword, the shining spear, and then heaps of slain 
mounds of corpses, dead bodies without end. It's just gruesome. Verse 4 and 5, because of the continual prostitution of the prostitute, the attractive mistress of sorcery, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, I will lift your skirts over your face and display your nakedness to nations, your shame to kingdoms. I will throw filth on you. This, this is gruesome graphic language. Woe to the city of blood. This is the punishment coming for God's enemies. We see a few different things that, that we might put our hope in. Starting in verse 8, it, it uh, points to the city of Thebes that was recently destroyed when this was written. And asked them, are you, are you better than Thebes that, that sat along the Nile with water surrounding her, whose rampart was the sea? The river, her wall, cushion Egypt, were her endless source of strength, Put in Libya were among her allies. You might put your hope in, in where you are. You might think you have a good good spot because you're up against the, the sea and you got the river next to you. You might think that your allies are going to keep you safe. Cush and Egypt are an endless source of strength. Put in Libya were among her allies. But even that's not good enough. Yet she became an exile, verse 10. She went into captivity. So you can put your hope in your allies and that falls short. You might put your hope in your army or your fortresses. Verse 12, all your, all your fortresses are, are fig trees. Even that falls short. When the fig, they ripen first. When shaken, they fall right into the mouth of the eater. Put your hope in your allies, that falls short. You put your hope in your fortresses, that falls short. Put your hope in your army, your Navy SEALs, your special forces, I had a friend that was telling me about a time he went paintballing with his cousin who was, you know, in, in the Special Forces. He said it was terrible. <laughs> you know, you're playing paintball, and as soon as your, your head just pops over, two paintballs right to the head. Couldn't turn off his, his training, you know. Sees the head and paintballs right away. You might put your hope in, in the army like that, but it says, look, Verse 13, look, your, your troops are like women among you. I love Jessica. She's amazing. My wonderful wife. But I'm not putting my trust in her as a, as a soldier, as a troop. The troops are like untrained housewives. Not the ones you want to be leading out into battle. So you put your hope in your allies, your fortresses, your army, that falls short. You might put your hope in, in how many people you have, your, your bustling city. Verse 15, 16. Multiply yourselves like the young locusts. Multiply like the swarming locusts. You have made your merchants more numerous than the stars of the sky. You have so many merchants. Your young locust strips the land and flies away. Your court officials are like the swarming locusts. You have your, your merchants. There's so many of them. Your court officials, your scribes, like clouds of locusts. You just imagine the, the hustle and bustle of a, of a city. Merchants everywhere, but they're all gone. Your scribes are like clouds of locusts which settle on the walls on a cold day. When the sun rises, they take off and no one knows where they are. Put your hope in all the people that you have and, and they disappear. 
They're gone. It's kind of this, this total dismantling of, of everything we might put our hope in. And finally, we have the, the end, the last couple of verses, the, the lonely and dying king. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber, your officers sleep, your people are scattered across the mountains with no one to gather them together. He's all alone. Shepherds, officers, they're sleeping. Your people are scattered. No one is there to gather them. He's all alone and he's dying. There's no remedy for your injury. Your wound is severe. He's alone, he's dying, and people are glad. All who hear the news about you will clap their hands because of you. For who has not experienced your constant cruelty? You think of the, the classic Wizard of Oz song, Ding dong, the witch is dead. It's like ding dong, the king is dead. The one who has been oppressing people for so long, no one is sad that he's dying. They hear the news about him and they clap their hands. Their constant cruelty is coming to an end. And that's the, that's the fate of God's enemies. Judgment total destruction everything they put their hope in falls short that could be us everything we put our hope in falls short except for Christ that picture of the the king of Assyria alone dying bleeding out that was Jesus on the cross his disciples left him scattered across Jerusalem. He's on the cross, bleeding out. God's not even with him. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Totally alone, facing the wrath of God, but not because of what he did, but because of his love for us. The king of Assyria deserved that. Jesus didn't. The whole city of Jerusalem was, was chanting crucify him so they're clapping their hands glad that Jesus died Jesus absorbed God's wrath so that we might live remember the metaphor of the lion's lair the lion's nowhere to be found reminded me of Revelation chapter 5 when there's no one to be found to open the the scroll, Revelation 5, starting in verse 2. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe 
and language and people and nation. You make them you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Instead of where is the lion, or is the lion's lair? There's the lion. He, he is the only one worthy. The only one found to be worthy. And instead of a city that's under attack, this army coming in at such speed, instead of that we have a new Jerusalem to look forward to. Revelation 21. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it. Its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day, because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Instead of a, a city full of blood, full of dead bodies and corpses, we have a city full of God's glory to look forward to. Remember the, the court scene we come before the Lord in our sin, but, but we come and, and we are granted Jesus' righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's enemies have, have judgment coming to them, but we don't have to. We follow a king who, who gave up his life, called us onto his mission. He is, he is good. He is a stronghold in the day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. So let's take refuge in him. Let's follow him. Let's live for him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for it's your kindness. I thank you for just the, the character of God that we see in this book. You never change. You're so powerful. You're so good. You're just. I pray that you would help us to follow you. Help us to repent of our sin. To know that, that our sin deserves this, this punishment, this gruesome stuff that we've seen in this book our sin deserves that but we have the opportunity to be forgiven pray that you would help us to repent of our sin help us to um, just proclaim the, the beauty of, of Christ to those that we know to those that are, are currently your enemies currently living, living their lives apart from you separate from you pray that you would help us to Encourage them to, to follow you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. It's in his name I pray. Amen.